hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. By now, my listeners are getting the idea that Sasquatch research is of paramount importance to me. Uh, I've had my own experiences. I've discussed them on the show. I'll go into greater detail about those in the future as well. So I feel that there is a, a real need for humanity to learn about these beings, whatever they are. And my guest today is someone with whom uh, anyone who is at least moderately familiar with Sasquatch research has, has probably heard. You've probably heard of this man and are familiar with his work. My guest today is M.K. Davis. Now, M.K. is widely known for his exhaustive analysis of the Patterson-Gimlin footage, as well as other Bigfoot videos, uh, which, which include actual visual videos of Bigfoots and uh, audio recordings as well. M.K. lives in Mississippi. He takes regular trips to uh, Bluff Creek, uh, the site of the fa famous Patterson-Gimlin footage, as well as Lovelock, Nevada, where a lot of uh, relics pertaining to ancient red-haired giants are discovered. So MK has a lot of uh, insight to provide for us, and I'm very excited to speak with him today. So MK Davis, welcome to Type 471. Well, thank you, Sam. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. I can't wait to get into it. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, well, just with your most recent trip. You just recently got home from a trip to the West, uh, Bluff Creek and Lovelock, Nevada. Let's start there. What, what, what happened at Bluff Creek exactly? Well, you know, you never know what to expect when you go into Bluff Creek. Uh, it's, it's a very rugged country. And uh, a lot of the access roads that go into the uh, film site, where the film site is, uh, are... Well, they, they tend to deteriorate, and they're little used during the winter months. So uh, they keep them locked up. Uh, no vehicles can get in there during those times. Uh, they have some, they get they list some reasons for doing that uh, other than the road. But uh, uh, one, one is that they say that they have root rot uh, in there, and they're trying to keep people from spreading the root rot you know, from tree to tree by walking around with it on their feet. Uh, well, you know, it, uh, I talked to the ranger there, and he went on a spiel about it, showed me some trees that had suffered from root rot, and then he made the comment, well, root rot's been around for 200 years, you know? Right. Uh, and, and animals spread it just like people do. You know, keeping people out wouldn't do any good. You know, animals are running around down there year-round. Certainly. Uh, so it, it's some, they have other reasons for, for, you know, keeping people out and letting the roads deteriorate, which in recent years, they've, they've gotten pretty hard to get, made it very difficult to get in there. Uh, 
when I first started going to Buck Creek, you, uh, you could drive a Dodge Dynasty all the way to Laos Camp. Uh, now, you, know, you can't get to Laos Camp in anything. You have right. Well, I take that back. We did eventually get into Laos Camp, but we had to move rocks, rock slides, and and pull uh, we had to pull you know trees out of the way that broke. Right. Uh, so, so how football, much time? How much time had passed in the interim between the last time you were there when you could access the the last camp and now? A uh, couple of years, 2019. We had to walk some then, uh, but we were able to get a lot further, a lot closer to it. Uh, this time, not so much. So, you know, I I just see a general overall uh, degrading of all those access roads and just letting it go. And, and there's there's some reasons for that too, um, and, and some of them are speculative, some not so speculative. I, I'm aware that the whole area up there has been a candidate for a world, being a world heritage site, uh, and going and actually going under the auspices of the United Nations. And the requirements for that is that it return to a wild state, uh, no, with no access road. Right, okay. Uh, and so I, I kind of see uh, around these towns in Northern California, they, they've had uh, signs in the windows saying no, mon- no monument. And, that, and that's what it's referring to, that they, they actually, uh, they actually uh, did not or, or did not agree with being turned into a World Heritage Site. Hmm. And that's called, that's called a monument. Uh, and so, uh, you know, coming up through some of those those roads, you know, up through Happy uh, Camp and some of the other places, you know, around there, there's, those signs are all in the windows, pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, a general, a general uh, disagree disagreement with the monument thing, and so uh, the degradation of the roads also uh, kind of. Uh, Kind of a speculative thing. Uh, a lot of big footers, especially, uh, they think that the roads are being allowed to degrade in an effort to isolate a small remnant of Sasquatch or Bigfoot that they know for a fact to be still in there. Right. Uh, and so uh, I think all of those things are valid. Uh, the bottom line is that if you want to go in there and be prepared to walk uh, for you know, who knows how far, it just depends on how, how what time of year and how you catch it. So they, you you mentioned to me something about some disappearances in the area as well. Yeah, this is something I found out this past trip in 2009 when I went in there. The, all the gates were locked well on up into the summer months, and they were locked when we got there. And you know that uh, that certainly had nothing at all to do with uh, root rot, because uh, summer summertime brings the drier conditions. You know, uh, and that they open they open the gates uh, during that time, but they were locked, and we hiked back in there about an eight mile hike, and uh, we got we came upon a, a a rock slide that had taken the entire road out. And we kind of made our way over, kind of edging along the inner edge of it and got over it. 
when we, we got past it, uh, all of a sudden this truck comes up from the opposite way, and uh, it's a uh, it's a truck that's being driven by a ranger, an off duty ranger. Oh, he was off duty. Yeah, he was off duty. Uh, huh. He said that he had he had come in through Fish Lake, and he had made his way around, and no one had been in there there in about a year, and he said that. He made the statement to me. Uh, I normally I can't give a ride anyone a ride, but I'm going to give you guys a ride out of here because if I don't, you could die in here. Right. And uh, I, I didn't understand what he was talking about or why he would make a statement like that since we did not die walking in. Yeah. Uh, but as it turned out, I may have gotten my answer uh, this past uh, couple weeks when I was headed back in there. I stopped in the Hoopa reservation there. We were talking to this lady and we told her we were going into Bluff Creek and she said, oh, I love it up there, she says, but I am afraid to go in there. And, and I said, why? And she said, because three people disappeared in there about 10 years ago and they don't know what happened to them and uh, disappeared without a trace and and so she was afraid, and a lot of other people have been afraid ever since to go in there. Did they disappear in the same time period, or was this three different disappearances over an extended period of time? Three people at the same time. Gotcha. And uh, and the uh, when you when I got to kind of mentally calculating when she said it was about the time period that this man had mentioned that we could die in. Right. Uh, so uh, I, I'm kind of correlating the two. Uh, that, that's probably what he was referencing. Uh, and, you know, uh, he he came back in there just looking and checking, uh, I guess, something that they do before they open the gate, you know, and let public come in. It seems kind of uh, funny to me that he would do this while he's off duty. That's that's that in itself is a little bit telling to me. Yeah, it, it was it was a little bit strange, and he, you know, like I said, he went into this spiel about roof rot, roof rot, everything, and then he he took us back to Fish Lake. Uh, and there's a campground there, and we we stayed there and waited. He said, "I'm going to send somebody around here," so he went back. To Orleans, and he got a friend of his to bring a key around to the gate that we originally jumped over, and he unlocked them for us and let us come in. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so all's well that ends well. I guess we didn't die in there. Thankfully, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and 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 there was some, a lot of interesting stuff in there, especially Bigfoot signs, which uh, it's it got to the point where you, you, I see it every time I go now. Right. It's not, it's not so, it's not so rare. Uh, there's, there's only a few people that go in there, and they go in there mostly in association with the Patterson film anniversary. Right. You know, and, and they lock the gates immediately afterwards. So it's a reasonable uh, speculation that they would be allowing this area to deteriorate and discouraging people from going in there 
because uh, there is a well-known history of Sasquatch activity in that area. And they, like you said, they may in fact be trying to isolate a population of Sasquatches that they just plain can't do anything about any other way. Well, it's, uh, it's like this. Uh, there's more to the story. Uh, that area, there's a couple of there. One is called Medicine Rock, and the other is called Chimney Rock. And all, all, the, all the, the surrounding area around those two peaks is considered to be sacred by the Hoopas and by the, the Roots and by the Yurok. And there, what they say about it is that a long time ago, there was there were people living there that were not normal. They were not humans as we know, and and they they returned to the sky through a hole in the sky from off those two peaks. Oh, and they train shamans on those two peaks to this day. Uh, a shaman will stay and meditate for for weeks on one of those two peaks and uh, try to have a, a spiritual vision. So it's more to it than just what's there, which we we know what's there. Uh, it, it's got to do with a belief system as well. Oh yes, and and and, and they believe it so strongly that they formed human chains to, to prevent logging equipment from taking the timber off of any of those feet. So it is indeed a sacred site. Uh, I, and, and I can certainly absolutely appreciate that. There's, there's, it sounds like there's a lot going on in this area. And I know that the natives, there is a, a sacred interaction between native communities and the Sasquatch as well. I know that what you're telling me right now doesn't necessarily directly relate to Sasquatch, but as pertains to Sasquatch, there is also a sacred relationship there. For example, I'm aware of a Karuk elder in my area that goes to a certain area to record Sasquatch calls every full moon. Uh, now, are you aware of any such relationship in the Bluff Creek area that you're speaking of? Well, I'll tell you what I have myself personally experienced. Uh, I was Laying down, we were camping at last camp, which is a famous campsite. Some of the, some of the, the big name bigfooters from the past have all spent time at last camp, and including Roger Patterson and Bob Henley. Right. Uh, middle of the middle of the night, we hours in the morning, I heard chanting, and it was at least two voices, but it was in unison. And it, and it chanted for about 15 minutes. I uh, didn't understand a word that they were saying, but I could, it was chanting. Right. And I tried to wake up my son and Don Monroe, and two or three times I hollered to try to get him. And the last time I hollered kind of loud, and he woke up. About the time he woke up, that chanting was ended. Uh, and it sounded like it was coming from the area Notice Creek. Uh, Notice Creek is like a tributary to Bluff Creek. It has its own little drainage. Uh, so something was going on that, that was of a spiritual nature. Uh, 
I, I don't know whether I heard Sasquatch or whether I heard Shaman or what. That's interesting. Uh, I I have come into uh, come across a lot of information recently, both that's been told to me and uh, that I've read and watched, etc., about Sasquatch's speaking native languages. So I, I think that may be entirely possible that it could be Sasquatch or it could be modern-day actual physical uh, shamans in the area, or it could have been something disembodied. Did you entertain the possibility that this was not something that was physically happening or, or, or that more specifically originated non-physically? Well, that's something to think about, but it, it stopped when I hollered. Right. Uh, so I really, I don't know whether it heard me, physically heard me, or, or, or it was, you know, I, I, you know, if you have something that, that's a transfer of information that's not through the air, you know, it's not heard. Right. Uh, it, it's like, it's like a transmission, you know, when people uh, that, that say that they can receive things. You know, and I, I don't. I don't know. I guess that if you if you did perceive it that way, it would sound or appear to sound like how you heard it. Um, I, I have no real way of testing that, except that it was a surreal experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. You know? So let's go over some of the sign that you discovered in this area during your last trip, and any trip for that matter. Well, uh, this last trip uh, up on top of a a ridge, a ridge stop, uh, along the edge of the wood line, there was uh, a lot of tracks, a very deep track uh, that went several inches deep and uh, very hard. I, I couldn't make a track like that. I, I tried to stomp my, my, my weight full weight uh, and to create something as deep, but I couldn't even create a den. You know, everything was pretty much so I know it was something very heavy, very heavy that had a, a foot that was uh, quite a bit bigger than mine. Uh, it was. We saw some toe impressions, but a lot of them didn't have that because it, it appeared to have the toes lifted up, or either, or either the toes, you know, they're not on the heavy part of the foot, you know, where the body weight. Right. And uh, it, it was enough tracks there that led me to believe that that they had become uh, rather aloof, you know, to having visitors. Uh, they didn't expect visitors. Uh, they didn't have visitors for up to a year at a time. Uh, so they, they just didn't seem, they milled about as if they were, you know, uh, unafraid or un, unconcerned. Right, their guard was down uh, because nobody goes in there anymore because of all these cautions and root rot and people disappearing and things like that. So, uh, yeah, right, right. It seems to be working. Uh, um, you know, if, if right now, if they tried to build another go road through there, they would have Bigfoot problems, just like they did in the 50s when they, you know, in the 50s when they came in there, there were no access roads and Bigfoot was in there. And they tried to build a road through there, and they had Bigfoot throw in their their uh, their fuel drums and their 
culverts and stuff down the mountainside and uh and just generally frustrate and vandalize them you know keep and scared the heck out of the workers yeah, I actually uh, just, what was it, last summer, I think, or maybe it was the beginning of, I don't even remember exactly when this was. It, it was either last summer or just the beginning of this warm season. Bobo told me about uh, a similar incident in Lassen County where the guys were out there building a road or something, and the construction crew was camping at the site overnight and and they even were making jokes about bigfoot oh well they're you know bigfoot's a bunch of bs and all this stuff and so they're they're camping near their equipment and then something comes in and they're and they start making all kinds of noise and they uh they're they're moving the equipment and they're throwing huge rocks and stuff and and these big tough construction guys they they just got the the you know what scared out of them and 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 it turned them overnight into bigfoot believers so that that sort of thing is still happening to this day and uh and you and like you're talking about this this happened back in the 50s and or the 50s and 60s and so some some of that sign is is still there is it not those huge metal culverts that they toss down the mountainside those are still there to be seen are they not oh yes yes they're still there uh, you go up the mountain from the other side of the Patterson film site and make your way up. It's about a 45-degree slope. You'll you'll find those culverts are still there wrapped around trees and stuff. You know, they just look down the mountainside. And they're big culverts, big steel culverts that uh, that you, uh, uh, my friend Don Crow, climbed up in one, you know, uh, with plenty of room to spare. Oh, that's amazing to me. Uh, so that kind of thing, that kind of thing would unnerve a worker, especially if he were a Native American, which a lot of the workers were, mm-hmm. and uh, and and some of them had backgrounds, you know, in the local area. They knew what they were looking at. Um, they tried to keep them working by by doing a, a kind of a fake news thing. Um, they got this guy named Ray Wallace and his cousin uh, to make some wooden feet and they pulled them down the road with a truck you know with a rope right and that made them that made them have these long strides you know and then they said well you know uh i'm confessing it was me i made the track you know so let's all get back to work I hadn't heard that particular take on it before, that Ray Wallace was actually part of a disinformation campaign. Right, right. It was just an attempt to distract or misdirect. And and, uh, and it didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work is because the, the workers actually saw the big, saw the Bigfoot themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the Bigfoot had thrown rocks at them from way up high. You know, up, up on the side of the mountain, and, and I mean, big rocks. And they looked up there and saw their big silhouettes up there. And hey, hey, that's enough. They went and hooked their trucks and stuff up and pulled the trailers out of there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it left them, you know, with uh, with uh, a shortage. Right. Well, that would be enough to make a lot of people just get up and take off, I'm sure. Now, I, I would be inclined to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I would too. In in that kind of a situation. Now, if 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 I'm 
face to face with a Bigfoot who's, you know, kind of more mellow and, and in a more agreeable mood, then I would stick around. And in fact, I did have an experience very much like that. But uh, with, with an angry Sasquatch, forget it. You know, I'll, I'm going to I'm going to take off for sure. <laughs> So uh, the, you mentioned these very deep tracks in the soil that you found. What kind of soil was this in? It was a, it was a very firm soil that had some small aggregate in it. You know, uh, it's, it's uh, the all the whole area around there is that is that type of soil. Uh, it, it has a tendency when it when it has been without moisture for a little while to get hard. Um, I'm not really sure what the age was on these, but they looked fresh enough, you know, and there was some humus, a layer of humus and, uh, and pine needles on top of that. Right. And the pine needles were actually crushed out of existence. Huh. I mean, just mashed. Uh, it, it that's why I know how heavy they had to be. Right. You know, um, you don't you don't want to you don't want to fool around with anything on that that this massive. Uh, it, it, you you if you shook hands with it, it'd break your fingers. Oh yeah, you know it, it, it it's harder to be friends with anything like this unless you can keep some kind of social distancing. You know, right? Uh, it. <laughs> If uh, you got if they if there was a physical contact, it wouldn't go in your face. Or unless there was some prolonged effort that uh, in which in which the two these two very different human species come together and you know learn how to interact and and this Sasquatch species learns how to be gentle with a human. I I, I wonder. I think something like that is very possible. In fact, I've. I've uh, become familiar with very detailed reports about that very thing. Uh, but I think just a wild Sasquatch who is not accustomed to human interaction, absolutely, if they were to physically touch a person without being accustomed to doing so, they could do absolute damage, devastating damage to a human being w without even trying. Yeah, I, I suppose that, that it would take a long, you know, a little period of time uh, to to learn how to, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but if you're if you're edgy, as both parties probably would be, uh, it, it's liable to get a little out of control. Oh yeah, you know. So you know, it's it, it, I've 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 seen enough that I I know and I realize. There's, there's an element of danger, you know. Oh, there's um, absolute danger, sir. I, I don't care. I don't care what the, the, the feelings are, you know. Uh, it, it's just a matter of uh, you know you could hurt yourself or hurt get hurt by them, but just the most benign way. So these tracks that you found, uh, in in addition to being in firm soil pulverizing pine needles it, this this not only says that it's something very heavy but it says that it is something bipedal i mean a, a quadruped 
their their weight is dispersed over four feet, so that makes a huge difference. The 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 fact that these impressions were so deep in the ground says that the uh, the weight was coming directly down over the footprint, which also not only says that this is a a heavy creature, but it says that this is a creature that walks on two feet. Yeah, uh, I've got video of Don Monroe trying to stretch out between the two tracks. And he he wasn't able to quite make it. I think Don's probably 5'11". So that's quite a long stride. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there again, this, they weren't even, they were, they were just milling around, you know. Um, you know, if they had stretched out, uh, it would, you could not possibly do it right right you know so uh, it, it it physically speaking uh, they are uh, outstandingly above and beyond right certainly like without even trying they're taking these six foot strides and they're just it's just a casual stroll i recently took some pictures uh on a on an expedition to Southern Oregon, uh, I would be interested to hear what you think of these pictures that I took. Um, it, it incorporates much of what we're talking about, which is why I mention it. I I took we, we were camping at at the convergence of three fire roads, and we had some interactions during the five days that we were there, and and it was all about subtleties this this whole time. Uh, it was a party of three of us. On the first night, uh, our, the female member of our party and I both heard a female voice speaking in, in which we could not make out the words, um, which is something I've, I've heard about before, and this happened to us the first night. And then there were communications with us uh, with, with sticks, like um, uh, Kip, a, 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 the guy who had had this experience in this area before, who took us to this place specifically because he had had experiences in this area before. He and I were walking down a fire road, or a very old logging road, rather. And we, we had walked down this fire road, uh, and we were down there for like maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And then we walked back up the road, and a very clear very carefully placed X formation had been put in the fire road with two very large sticks for us to see. It was clearly placed there for us to see. And there was, there was another communication directly with us involving a stick um, and a place where I had climbed looking for footprints. Uh, this stick was pointing directly to this place uh, where I had gone up this hillside looking for footprints. And then uh, I on on that same fire road where this other uh, stick communication happened that I'm referring to, I found a very large footprint, uh, very clear, just clear as day. Now it, it had rained the night before, and just after the rain, it looks like this individual had stepped into the duff material on this fire road with her wet foot. Uh, and, and, and then the pine needles stuck to her wet foot, and, she, and as she took a step, she carried the pine needles away, leaving a perfect negative impression of her foot on the very hard clay of this fire road. And uh, also, uh, our, our, our tent was just below a rock outcropping, and uh, I, one night or, or one morning after we had been sleeping, I went up to this rock out, outcropping, and I saw that there were two 
uh, footprints in the grass of the same size as this other footprint that I had found, uh, just standing there side by side near the tent. And then she, and then there's another one, uh, showing as she, she took a step. Um, and, and I did find some scat up the road or up the, the rock outcropping as well that uh, makes me believe that this was a female who had a young one with her. It was a small, human-like uh, piece of scat. So I, I'd be interested to see uh, what you think of these pictures I took. Uh, you and I belong to, a, a, to the same Facebook group, and I posted these pictures in this group. So if you get a chance, I'd, I'd like to have you take a look at those pictures and see what you think of them. Well, sure, I'd be happy to do that. Right. Uh, down through the years, I've had opportunities to look at, you know, different people's evidence, you know, that they wanted me to look at. Yes. Uh, uh, let me tell you, uh, evidence was hard to come by, and I appreciate to take up the mantle of researcher, you know, Bigfoot research. Uh, I, I'll help anybody if I can. Yeah, and over the years, you've you've certainly analyzed a a lot of really interesting videos and uh, and various Bigfoot related media. Well, I have uh, people, uh, you know, are naturally skeptical. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has a a skeptic skeptical side. Uh, what I have come to realize in Bigfooting is that there is a uh, kind of a uh, cabal of of what I call unbridled skepticism, uh, which it, 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 it they're kind of making uh, or, or using skepticism or Bigfoot skepticism as a vehicle, you know, and it serves no good purpose at all to be that. You know, we're talking about a subject that's very rare, and the evidence is and it comes through, you know, sporadically. And uh, if, if you wanted to just say everything is, is wrong, everything's a misidentification, everything is, uh, uh, you know, just uh, a hoax or whatever, you, you would be right most of the time. So that's a, that's a pretty enviable position to be in. Uh, if you wanted to take advantage, uh, but but what about the one, two, or three percenters that would put something like this in the textbook? And you know why, when something does pass muster, would you want to try to put it back in the box and seal it up? You know, with unbridled skepticism that's unwarranted and has no, no, no real uh, validity to it, and I speak about that mostly as as regarding the Patterson. You know, uh, it the Patterson film has been, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it, it it is it's in its best form. You know, it's stabilized. The, the kind of things that you see on it are, are biomechanically found. Uh, you know, uh, so people that continue 
to try to to get mileage through skepticism of, of the film are, are, are doing a, a disservice. You know, it's too important. There's no degrees offered for skepticism. Right. Skepticism is whatever you want. You Whatever you make, you can just shake your head no to everything, just like a bobblehead doll. Like you said, you know, being a skeptic is an enviable position because all you have to do is say, no, 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 that's not right. That doesn't exist. Uh, so, yeah, what, what, what you should have to do is have the same, same uh, level of proofs that you're asking the person who took the film or had the experience to, uh, to produce. You should have to produce the same level of proof. If you can't do it, then... You need to go on your merry way. Go to something else. Yeah, you make a you make an excellent point. That's the way I feel about it. Uh, you know, I, I I'm all for you know person. You know, no one wants to be taken in, but it that film is way beyond that. Nobody nobody's being taken in by seeing the breast bounce. No no nobody's being taken in by seeing the muscles in the back and the. Shoulder blades moving and the, the rotation of the of the uh, the shoulder joint and the thigh and muscles, the stretching of the skin and the, the femoral muscle. No, nobody's being taken in. It is on that film, you know. So that should be enough to put it in the textbooks. They should have already been in the textbook we should not be arguing that film we should be arguing what's the nature of what's on that well put and, and you know so we need to move on to that thing it needs to be forced on people if they won't accept it on their own uh, people people are very unforgiving they say well my religious police want it but you have to force it on them it has nothing to do with religion or religious belief. It has to do with the light bounced off that subject and was recorded in a movie camp. And that that has been accepted as, as physical evidence as long as they had movie camp. And uh it, it, that that that's that's you just they just gonna have to take you know if if they can if they can, how are they gonna, uh, you know, undo that thing? You know, I've heard everything from Patterson didn't pay his bills, had bad credit, and all that. Therefore, it couldn't be real. That's stupid stuff. Yeah, it, it has it has nothing to do with who, who some anyone can pull the trigger on a camera, uh, whether he be uh, a Scoundrel or saint, it don't matter. And that, that film is good. That film is good. It's real. Yeah, I, I mean, like you're saying, it doesn't matter who pulled the trigger. It matters what's what is shown on that piece of film. And uh, it, you know, in 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 Roger Patterson's time, the the height of Hollywood special effects was, uh, was planet of the apes. Uh, it, what, what had just won the Oscar for best special effects makeup. And, uh, 
what was seen in Planet of the Apes was nowhere near the sophistication of, you know, this very real-life being seen in the Patterson-Gimlin footage. Uh, so that in itself should have put that that uh, argument to rest right away. Uh, the, you know, and, and as people have pointed out, the slope of the forehead could not actually accommodate a human forehead um, when the eyes, like if it were a mask, the eyes would, would line up perfectly, but then a human head, a human forehead would stick out the top of Patty's head. So, and, and just the, the anatomy, the, the, the limbs, the, the proportions of the, of the length of the thigh relative to the length of the shin is completely different than that of a human being. So a, a human being can't just put on a suit and do what Patty did in that film. So, I mean, this, like you're saying, this, this this argument should have been put to rest a long time ago. But this, uh, this cabal of unbridled skepticism that you're talking about, I, I, I have seen that in action in not only Sasquatch research, but in all controversial or uh, all controversial areas of inquiry or areas of inqu inquiry that the scientific community sees as toxic, you know, they don't want to go, they don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole, you know, so it applies to uh, Sasquatch research, UFO research, uh, research pertaining to the ancient past, prehistory. I've seen this in action over and over and over again, even when uh, the evidence is staring you right in the face for something, there, that unbridled skepticism is, is put into place. And I think there is a psychological reinforcement of that in our culture. We, we are of a culture that likes to believe that we have a, a bead on reality. Like, we know what's what, we know the nature of things, and, and our, own, our own attitude kind of, it, it makes it possible for this unbridled skepticism to exist. And as far as religious views, I mean, just how well do people understand their own religious views? How well have they studied the ancient texts themselves, and how well can they say that they know exactly what is being said in their own uh, religions that are, that are records of the past? You know, I've been a student of worldwide religion most of my life, and I can assure people that the existence of a, a being like Sasquatch does not contradict any teaching from the ancient past. So uh, there, there's uh, this, this argument is a silly one. It's always been a silly one, and, uh, but, but people allow it to happen, and, and we need to kind of get to a place where we overcome all that because we, it's really just a matter of overcoming our own cultural way of thinking. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, I, I do to, uh, to an extent. Uh, I think that with, in, in relation to uh, academia. Uh, the the few academics who have embraced the film have done so with a bit of a selfish leaning. Uh, in, in other words, they attach to the film their ideas of of something you know like Gigantopithecus, right? Uh, which is a favorite of Jeff Jeffrey Meldrum and is also a favorite of the late Grover Grant. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, in, in, in my estimation, you should not go beyond the film. Uh, and, and, and it's like saying, it, it, what it does is, is, is it devalues the film because it's not provable that this is a gigantic pit. Uh, 
and and so they're using the film as a vehicle for an idea they already had. Uh, uh, it, it, it's like me saying, well, I have this wonderful film and I've stabilized it. I've got it to its best forms and it shows muscles moving and everything. And I think it's the film of Popeye. You see, everybody turns around and walks out of the room. And, and that's what you're seeing with the Patterson film. You, you need to stop with, I have this wonderful film that shows muscles moving and it's real. And that's it. And then, then you, you can argue about the other stuff. But uh, saying, you know, I'm so-and-so, so-and-so, and this is what it is, and you don't know. You know, you can't possibly tell. So I got Gigantopithecus has no known fossils in North America and only a few teeth and jawbone fragments and, and where it was considered to be a terrain. Right. Uh, but you, you, you got to understand where this is coming from. It's coming from the Patterson film and the short history before the Patterson film in the Bluff Creek area. Uh, where they did not want this to be a group of humans or humanoids or what you call hominids. They wanted it, the, the logging companies wanted it to be some kind of an animal that they could excuse or make it a candidate for, for pushing it out of there, eradicating it or whatever. You know, when they were when they encountered, yes. So they they, they had hired experts <laughs> come in and state that this is an animal. So you know, I could get a lot further into that, but basically that's it. That's why Gigantopithecus got brought up. Uh, uh, the guy Bill Munns, which, like I said, I admire anyone who takes this up. But Bill Munns was. You know, a compadre of John Green, who was a proponent of the eight theory, and he hired Bill Hunts to make this Gigantopithecus model, uh, which they were going to just point to it and say, "See, that's Bigfoot." You know, uh, John Green had heavy, heavy, heavy connections to the logging industry. Mm. Uh, Family, long, long-term family relations uh, and big money. Uh, so prior to John Green and them, most uh, everyone called them a tribe, uh, a tribe of some, you know, unsure. But uh, the, the Indians definitely thought they were people of some sort. Uh, after John Green, uh, you would get run out of the run out of the, the field of interest. You know, uh, if you said that it was somebody, uh, you know, it had to be an ape. You know, right. uh, so you you see the the destruction they wrought upon this film. Yeah, they should have just stopped with we have biomechanical motion. You know. There's nothing, no machine, no suit that will replicate it. 
It is real. It is real what it is. Uh, and and then you once that's established, then you can go into what does the film show me that might give me an indication as to what it is. You know, uh, you can't let people just seize this film and take it over and turn it into what they want it to be. Uh, it, 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 it is what it is. It is a living, breathing thing. It's bipedal. We're bipedal. You know, it, it, it's obviously not us, but it's also just as obviously not a gorilla. Yes. Very well yeah. put. And you make, you make some excellent points about that. Uh, the way that individuals have come at this phenomenon in general and at this film in particular has, on a cultural level, dictated how we see it to an extent. And uh, what's more, I'm certainly not a primatologist, but I have always had trouble believing that a quadrupedal orangutan-like creature with a divergent toe would, over time, evolve into a bipedal being with an inline toe, exactly like ours, or not exactly, but, you know, following that same pattern that we have, as well as having a hooded nose like a human has, and all these human-like attributes that Gigantopithecus would not have. And I, I, I find it hard to believe that in whatever, you know, like a million years to a hundred thousand years, that Gigantopithecus would change so drastically to become, uh, to, to change from something more orangutan-like to more human-like. That just it ne has never rang true for me. Well, uh, you're, you were uh, in the majority at first. You know, your, your view was shared by many people at first. Uh, but once the ape thing became, it, it's like uh, it's like the cancel culture is now. They right. would cancel you if you you said anything other than eight. That's right. And uh, so the, the cancel culture is not anything new. Uh, but but you don't have to put yourself through that. You don't have to say what you think it is. Uh, it's it's not necessary to say what it is. It's what it's only thing is necessary is to say that it. It is absolutely real. Uh, I measured the bicep when I when I uh, kept the correct aspect ratio and enlarged it to six foot seven, and I measured the bicep, and it was ten inches. Hmm. That's double mine, and I've got a pretty good size bicep. Are you talking about ten inches across? You're not talking about circumference. Across. Across, not around. <laughs> yeah, Across. circumference you know, would be two tiny. <laughs> Two-dimensionally, two ten inches across. Gotcha. That that is probably not going to be us. So you know that that it, it tells you a, a more about what it's not than it does about what it is. Right. Uh, and and that sense uh, it's out of the range. You know, out of the range uh, and, and, and pure you know, girth of 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 this 
the STEM subject is just incredible. Right. Uh, it, it, so it's, it's not us, but it, it, it behooves us to ask what it is. You know, I think it's extremely important to know what it is. Uh, and so what, what we can't, we shouldn't do is, is to allow someone to, to hijack. You know, absolutely. Uh, let, let's just stay with that it is, get it established as a real thing, and then, you know, you can get enough honest people to look at it to try to make some, make some assessment. But you can't let a person take it over and, and create a cancel culture and eliminate all opposition and, you know, put you and punish you for just saying, wait a minute. So I, I think, I think, I think that that until we reach that point, you know, the, the film is good enough. It's good enough. Uh, skepticism, it will, it will actually explode skepticism. You know, they, they have too much to explain. Uh, it, 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 it's in good enough them isn't good enough form to to put the whole entire subject matter into the textbook as authentic and real, then then people uh, who are anthropologists should should take the flight that trying to figure out what is and probably I, I think it's doable. Oh yes, I think it's doable and like you I think it is of paramount importance and you've made some more excellent points on that matter um yeah i I couldn't possibly agree with you more on that mk now uh, i want to switch over to some of your work in nevada pertaining to the red-haired giants can we go over that a little bit yeah i'll be happy to uh back in 2000 and it was 13 Don, don monroe and i went into a block cave and this was before it had a uh, observation that built in. and there was a, a a rock that had actually it was uncovered uh, they were going to build the op, uh, observation deck i mean i'm trying to get it right here hold on it's been a few years sure uh, i think i got it wrong I, I think they had just built the observation and, uh, you know, down in the bottom of the cave, there is old Bacuano, thousands of years old. Uh, and they had pulled some of the Bacuano from the ends of the cave, where it was high, to the middle, where it was low. And trying to level it out for that observation. And when they did that, they uncovered this handprint. Uh, on the wall of the cave, and this handprint was, oh my God, it was, it was some of the same tarry substance that was on the roof of the cave. It was like a wax, uh, greasy wax with soot in it, you know. And they, whatever it was that put the hand on the rock, had pulled it away directly back away from it. And that tarry stuff had stuck and made little ridges down each finger. You know, little happy ridges, you know, like if you had your finger in half. Right. And, uh, 
that that handprint was 18 inches. Ooh. Uh, and just it dwarfed our handprint. And uh, I filmed it, uh, took pictures. We came out of there. I told Don, I said, we better call somebody. Because when this gets out, someone's going to come in there and likely try to take the whole thing out of there or destroy it or something. Yeah. Because this is a public cave. You know, you're at the the mercy of people, anybody that wants to come in. And uh, and really, it should have been bolted and locked once that was found. There's no way. So I called a friend in California and he called a friend in Texas and they came up. He flew in. The other guy drove in, I think. Uh, and they they documented it uh, separately from, from me. And uh, that was, oh God, I think it was in June. July, early July. By the time November came, it was gone. The whole entire face of the rock was chiseled off. Oh, no. Uh, so it was destroyed. The whole face of the rock was destroyed. But it was well documented. And uh, a- immediately after that, uh, the museum down there in Winnemucca, who formerly had been proponents of the red-haired giant uh, story. You know, they would give you information on it when you went there. They began to deny it to him. Uh, they would catch you coming in the door and give you literature that said, no red-haired giant, and it had a red circle with a slash. Hmm. And they would get mad as hornets if you even ask any questions and, uh, and come to find out that, you know, that the BLM had a lot to do with their funding. Mm. Do you think, uh, so, th- this was an official, an, an official entity that was responsible for defacing this, this rock wall with the handprint? Yeah, actually I do. Uh, I think it was some, I think it was water. Uh, high pressure water that did it. Mm. Uh, and I, I've been around industry all my life and I've seen high pressure water used to bring in a big pump on the back of a flatbed, big diesel engine pulling it, and they could cut everything out of, you know, any, it wasn't natural carbon steel. It, it would cut your darn feet off mm-hmm. if, you, if you rake it across the feet. Uh, and Military installations use it to clean jet aircraft, the, the turbine blade mm. on the engine. Yeah. And uh, it looked like something like that was brought up there, and the whole face of the rock was cut with it. And the reason I say that is because the rock erupted with algae growth. And it, it had been without algae growth for thousands of years, you know, back in there out of the light. There's no moisture. 
and all of a sudden it got introduced on a lot of moisture and a lot of pressure and it cut that face and that rock all oh, I found pits of the rock hmm. you know laying around down there uh, so I think that they may have gone up there to a to area 51 or wherever and, and barred their their high pressure uh, apparatus and used it and that's kind of my thinking that's kind of my that's a, that's a speculation on my part but it sure fits the bill you, you, you it sounds like you're you're probably on the the right track and that is just disgusting to me that's that should be a crime i can't believe that i i just i wish people were were held accountable for this i wish the the official entities or whomever did this i i, I just wish this wasn't okay um i wish they were answerable to the public because this is this is absolutely important history for this is necessary for humankind to understand this and uh it's just disgusting to me that things like that are done routinely well it it, it, it immediately afterward the 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 museum at Winnemucca who who harbored quite a few things from Lovelock Cave uh began to convert the museum to an art sale it became an art museum, mostly with the with the Indian relics being pushed to the very back and the lights kept, you know, cut off. Hmm. So you began to see an entire change uh, in the complexion uh, of of what that museum originally was intended for. Uh, it became uh, an entirely different uh, outlet uh, rather than seeing ancient artifacts. So you go in there and you see you know, people selling their art. It's interesting. Might as well have a sale. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Put a flea market up there. Why not? Right, right. It's, it, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, I, I know what I'm looking at. I've seen that whole thing change dramatically. Yeah. Uh, and uh, years and years ago, my friend Don, and Don is an old rounder. He, he's always been a, uh, 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 you know, kind of on the road, you know, look, look, turning over rocks, looking under rocks and stuff, you know. And uh, he, the lady who used to run the museum many, many years ago, uh, her lady, the lady was named Pansy Lee. And she was sweet on Don. Oh. And she let him go downstairs and look at the Too Hot for TV stuff. Mm. And, uh, she didn't know that he had a camera with him, uh, a, a portable, you know, the little instamatic, the little disposables. Yeah. And he took, well, there was a skull down there that was double the size of any of the other skulls. And it, it was just, it had a double row of teeth on the, the top piece, the top row had two rows. Right. Yeah. Wow. And, and and the bottom row was overcrowded, but it was only one room. But it was overcrowded. You know, it was too many teeth for to be normal. Right. And it this this thing had a rocker jaw, which is the the chin's turned up, and if you set it on a flat surface, it would rock like a rocking chair, and uh, that identified it as being. Uh, the heritage of it was 
Polynesian. Hmm. Uh, but it was it was it was definitely a giant, and it had double rows of teeth. It fit the bill in every way. And uh, we we went down there, and this lady she proceeded to threaten us. We went out in front of the. We were just taking each other's picture in front of the museum. I guess she thought we were filming a documentary or something. Man, she really let us have it threatened us. Uh, and she's denying they ever had that skull. And I I have the photos that Don took. I have them locked away in a safe place. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely in that museum. <laughs> they definitely had. Wow. You know, uh, so... What has the BLM got to do with it? I don't know. I don't know. I I thought the BLM were pretty nice people. The only time I had a, you know, just small dealings with them, but they seem to be nice in that. Uh, But that's that's not the people calling the shots on this. It's uh, the right after we got through with the museum incident, Don and I went out. It was then got dark, and we were going to just ride around the roads, you know, looking to see if we could spot another thing, you know. And I thought I saw one. The moonlight was out, you know, it was bright. And uh, we, I drove across the way to get closer to it, and, and I pulled off the road and went down into a sink. And all of a sudden, the lights came on, and the, there were people looking for us. They had, you know, big, strong searchlights, and they were passing right over my Jeep. You know, we were down below ground level in that sink, hmm. and they they could not put a light on us, so we sat tight and didn't move, didn't make any sound, cut everything off that we had that could even resemble a light or a microphone, and we just sat tight, and 45 minutes we sat there before they gave up. And they just and, uh, they just turned and left at that point. They left. They went back the way they came, and I we did too. <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. So, what did these uh, vehicles look like? Uh, I I couldn't see what the vehicles looked like. I could just see that they were in vehicles. It was nighttime. Right. Okay. Uh, and but they had they had light, you know, going ever which way, you know, looking all up around the sides of the hill there and, and the lights would come over us you know uh, and then go back and forth but we were in a, a good little spot that I just happened to pull down into you know yeah uh, thank goodness thank goodness so I, I, you know, I wasn't guilty of anything I don't know what their intentions were well do you think that they had been aware of you and Don personally and that they had been tracking you and that that was their uh, the 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 time when they chose to corner you? I, I think I think that lady at the museum might have, you know, told them to go check on see if they're they're out there at Lovelock Cave, you know, mm-hmm. because we were on that road, but we we were still a couple of miles or maybe more from the cave, you know, didn't have any intention of going to the cave, you know, uh, we we were just going looking searching, trying to see if we could get lucky, find something else, you know, another cave. Right, yeah. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I thought uh, you were you were getting at. This this chain of events uh, kind of began with that. The lady is sweet on Don. She lets him look at at the the things in the basement. She becomes aware of the pictures. She becomes very angry. Then she, uh, as you're leaving, she's making the threats. She informs someone. This whomever this entity is tracks you, and then they decide to corner you right at that moment. Yeah, I think so because we had. I had talked to that lady. Matter of fact, I recorded it. She don't even know I recorded it. I have a camera that looks like an SLR, but it also does video. And I just got it on video, just let it hang. I didn't point it at anybody, but I just recorded the conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and we asked her, you know, asking about the red-haired giant. I said, you know, well, what about this this giant handprint? Mm-hmm. You know, she kept saying. Well, they found the bones. I didn't think they didn't even find them in Lovelock Cave. But I said, "What about the giant handprint?" You know, and we had a copy of it. I had printed out several copies, uh, and you know, she just didn't appreciate it very much. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. Uh, so, uh, so when we leave, I guess she figures, well. You know, they they may go to the cave, or they probably go to the cave, or they somebody down there to see. But yeah. as, as we were able to dodge it, I don't know what their intentions were. What would it amounted to? You know, I, I was under the impression that if you weren't doing anything wrong, they couldn't do anything to you. But that that's not necessarily true these days. No, that's certainly not. Uh, we're, we're coming up on the last few minutes of the show, and I just want to go over a few things briefly with you. Um, first of all, there's, there are those who believe that the red-haired giants and Sasquatch are one and the same being, and there are those who believe they are very different. Uh, where do you fall in all that? Uh, I've explored that. I don't know for sure. I, I, I am fairly certain of where the red-haired giant came from. Uh, and I believe that they came out of two places. One's the Jarbidge Wilderness. Wait, wait. And the other is, and that's the northern Nevada. Say that again. And, and the other, the Jarbidge Wilderness. Okay. And the other is the, the Ruby Mountain. And, and the Humboldt River, uh, its source is the Jarbidge Mountain. And then it comes right by the Ruby Mountain. And both both of those places harbor lots of reports of really red-haired giant pots, and uh, and uh, the the Paiute, the Lovelock Paiute, said that uh, the red-haired giant came down the Humboldt River. Wow. Uh, that's how they came into their territory, the, the cannibalistic giant, uh, and and they their Indian name for the the red-haired giant in in the Jarbidge area is Sahabit. So it even they even have a name, and they, they exceed ten feet sometimes, and they're 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 cannibalistic. And you know, they, they say they're still up in that wilderness, you know, in those high peaks, the the Matterhorn Peak and the other peaks around it. Still up there today, living. Yeah, today to this day. Yeah, no kidding. Wow, that's, that's 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 what I've been able to to determine. You know, uh, talking to people from in that area. 
Well, there's a whole other area of inquiry in there right there. Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so uh, if you follow the Humboldt River, you know, that goes through Lovelock, and it'll curve and go right by the Ruby Mountains and then go up up into the, the Jarbidge Mountain. Mm-hmm. And it sources out of the Jarbidge. And that's the river they came down. And it could have been a drought or something like that that sent them out of there. But uh, they came down into the Paiute country. Uh, they when they the Paiutes call them Numaticuthas, uh that that means people eaters there's a whole other show in there mk i hope we can do a part two of all this because <laughs> there's there, there's well, that... certainly, certainly. oh if you'd like to good i would love that uh in the last few minutes there are just a couple more things i want to ask you about first of all these days i i can't you know talk to anyone in the bigfoot community without also hearing about reports of dogmen. And I, I, I want to know, is, is that something that you've actively engaged with or done any work with? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm at a point where I just don't know what to think of all that. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of information on dogmen personally. So I just wanted to ask you how you feel about dogmen and if you are engaging with that in any way. Well, I, I always, I always put it like this, being is believing. And, and and I don't necessarily mean you have to physically see it, but you need to see something. You know, uh, and and you know stories are fine, and I don't disbelieve anyone. Mm-hmm. But in in order to get traction, you know, it needs to be there needs to be some sort of physical evidence, you know, for it. Oh yeah. Uh, and 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 so you know, it's uh, I just leave it at that. Uh, it's it, if I could see something physical that would tell me that that it's not you know someone's imagination, I definitely would not disbelieve it. You know, uh, it's it's uh, I, I'm an accommodating person, and I believe you know there's lots that we don't know about. But I have you have you know that's where you start. You start with with seeing this movie, right? Certainly, yeah. I mean, that's that's where we have the starting point has to be with what we know, and uh, in 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 certain of these inquiries, we know that there is a physical being behind the sighting or the encounter or what have you. So we start with the physical. We start with what we know, and we have to you know figure it out from there. So I hear you. There there certainly has to be something tangible. So I'm getting the impression that you haven't directly engaged with anything uh, dogman related, though. No, not not that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, you, you hear noises in the night, and you hear you know howls or whatever. You don't really know for sure what it. Uh, uh, that you know that that's where you know you you need to find something that you can connect those howls with. You know. Absolutely. Um, and 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 I believe, I don't just believe people who tell me tell me that they had face to face encounters and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm I'm interested in it, uh, but you know it's 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 got a ways to go. It's it's not nearly as 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 forward uh, uh, thinking as the Bigfoot phenomenon is. You know, you there's a lot out there for Bigfoot, but let's go for that. Right. Yes. Agreed. 
So, like I said, we're in the last few minutes. I just wanted to uh, kind of talk about one of my favorite videos of yours. I, I, I would have to say, I think you called it the Night Runner. Um, I, it's the one of the little juvenile Sasquatch who comes up over or out of this creek bed. It seems like maybe it was a dry creek bed. And you see him just kind of appear as he comes up over the top of it. And he's doing this uh, sideways shuffle. Uh, I know you know the one I'm talking about. It's, it was done in almost total darkness. Um, can you, can you uh, just, just for my own fascination can you uh go over the details of that like where was it taken circumstances all that stuff well you know i when i first uh received all those videos uh to examine i didn't have a lot of information on them uh and so i, I just kind of took them you know as they were but later on uh i was able to find out and and, and make contact with some of the people who took the videos I got a lot of it explained to me, and, and it, it made a, a huge difference in the understanding of it. Uh, and and the, this right here was a, a, a small camcorder that was put up in the fork of a tree and left all night running. Uh, and, and the best of my understanding is that this thing crossed the road in front of a couple of turkey hunters who were uh, about to go turkey hunting, and it was just like maybe at the crack of dawn or a little earlier and uh and so they they actually gave pursuit uh and they there were several cameras that were out not just that one camera along this creek and this thing came uh and actually shook them right there where you see it it, it, it took a right and they went straight and uh, they ended up going by another camera and they look at the camera, and then all of a sudden they get kind of panicky and realize they're trespassing. And it was one of them by that time. I don't know what happened to the other one. But the one took off running and came back by the camera at a full gallop. And uh, he he goes back, you know, across the road and got off that private land. And 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 the the, the little juvenile Sasquatch kind of must have realized that he shook them because he gave, gave a little kind of a cackly laugh. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, <laughs> I couldn't help but kind of giggle a little bit, you know, and none of this was even visible when I got it. You know, I just kept brightening and brightening and using tricks, you know, to get the, the because it was just enough light, you know, it was a very crack of dawn. And and I had something to work with. It was a lot, but it was something. And I, I kept finally got it where I could see what was going on. I, I saw that little thing come up that hill, and it, it was a strange looking little thing, and it had a weird gait, you know, a little sideways, like he said. Uh, and, it, and it ran, it ran without with impunity. It didn't look down. It didn't stumble. It didn't, you know, if if you and I were running through the woods. At that time of day, we fall all over ourselves. Sure, you know. So they, you know, they, they're, they're, they're again, you know, it's just a, a little, a little snippet in time, a little, a little piece of Bigfoot, uh, a keyhole view to their world. Yeah, uh, but it's interesting. 
Oh yeah, that's immensely interesting. I'm I'm so glad I asked you about that because the story is so much more dynamic than what I had mentioned, and that and that or, or than what I had imagined rather. And that uh, that little laugh that you you mentioned that that just cracks me up. That's hilarious. I love that. That's <laughs> such a great story. <laughs> it, it, it got one over. It threw one over on them, and uh, and it, it seemed to get a little kick out of it. You know. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it. Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Well, MK, we are right at the end of the episode, and uh, you, you you agreed to a part two, so I'm going to hold you to that. There's so much more to go over. All but right. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with me today. Your your insights are invaluable. Your work is amazing and a, and a huge contribution. I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate you taking Thank the time. You. Yeah, yeah. I I appreciate you taking the time to speak with my listeners and myself today. So, uh, MK Davis, thank you so much for joining me today on Type 471. All right. Thank you. See you next time. All right. I'll talk to you later. Take care, my friend. To stay up to date on MK Davis and his very interesting and important work, visit his YouTube channel, Green Wave 2010 FB. That's G-R-E-E-N-W-A-V-E 2010FB. He also has a WordPress page. That's the davisreport.wordpress.com. Once again, the davisreport.wordpress.com. And again, his YouTube channel is GreenWave2010FB. At long last, Type 471 is now available on Apple Podcasts. So I can officially say you can find Type 471 anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, look for Type 471 across social media. You can find Type 471 Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. One final note. As I record this, the lava fire is raging just outside of Weed, California. Whether you know anyone in Siskiyou County or not, I ask that you pray for the town of Weed, California and its residents. I ask that you pray that no homes or properties are destroyed and that people and animals are unharmed. I'm Sam Kitchen. Thank you for listening to Type 471.